Welcome to the New Books Network. And we are live. All right. Hello to Emma Bland Smith in the dark basement in San Francisco. <laughs> Hello. I'm so happy to be here. No, you're not happy. I'm happy. <laughs> and, and you should say, I'm happy to be there. All right. <laughs> and I'm happy to be there. So it's incredible that we can have these discussions all the way from Tel Aviv to San Francisco. It's incredible. It really is. And I'm it's really, amazing. I'm deeply honored to meet you because you are a wonderful author uh, and you are an incredibly generous person. I know that because we've talked for only eight minutes, but uh, I get these first impressions that are hard to break. So uh, Emma Blandsmith, thanks so much for being on the show. This show is the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, which I am fortunate to host. And um, let's start with you. You're celebrating three new books. It was hard to choose one of them, so why don't you just show us all of them? Okay, <laughs> twist my arm. Okay. Um, let's. Which see. one of them? So, in <laughs> this past year, I had yeah, I had three books come out that I was so um, proud of. This, um, The Gardener of Alcatraz, came out in April, and this is the story, all, all three of these stories are what I would call narrative nonfiction, so, um, which is uh, so fun to write. So it's nonfiction, but as a, a lot of people probably already know, it's nonfiction that's written with all the different techniques of fiction. So you're trying to make a nonfiction a book be just as unputdownable as fiction. So you've got tension and drama and a high point and a resolution and characters and dialogue, but all without inventing anything. So it's a um, it's not a genre I ever thought I would write, but here I am. I love writing it, and it, every book is like a puzzle to try to figure out how am I going to take only the facts that are there, not make anything up, but somehow come out with a book that kind of reads like a fiction story. So um, this one, um, I, I love The Gardener of Alcatraz. It's about a prisoner in Alcatraz in the 1940s who was sort of saved by uh, gardening on the island. And then this one came out, How Science Saved the Eiffel Tower in July. Um, and I, I grew up living uh, quite a bit in France and speaking French. And so I had always kind of wanted to write a book about France. And so when I learned this really cool story about um, the man who built the Eiffel Tower and uh, it really hadn't been turned into a book yet, I was so excited. So that one that came out and I love that one. The I love the illustrators of all of these books. And then Mr. McCloskey's Marvelous Mallards is my last one. It came out in November. And this is a, um, obviously about Robert McCloskey. And there's a very funny anecdote about how he uh, illustrated Make Way for Ducklings. And that's what this book is about. Okay, so this is the one we're, going, we're supposed to focus on today. Um, but before we focus on them, go back and tell us the, uh, the um, illustrator's name and the publisher, uh, because you work with the best publishers and illustrators in the business. Uh, so let's mention them. For these three books? Yes. So um, absolutely. So uh, Jen Eli illustrated The Gardener of Alcatraz. She's amazing. She does animation. Um, she worked on the late uh, latest Pinocchio film that came out. Just want to give a shout out to her. And I think an illustrator who does animation is really cool because they know how to tell a story in words. 
And this book. One second. So just show us show us the double spread now that we're there. Yeah, let's see. Oh my gosh. A random double spread. Emma, you're too productive. I'm gonna have to spend two hours interviewing <laughs> you. It'll be dark in San Francisco. There, Lovely. So she uh she just had this beautiful way of as the um as the uh as he changed, the oh. more color was brought oh. into the book. This is and it's just beautiful. She did a beautiful job. And this book is from Charles Bridge. And I am so grateful to Charles Bridge. They just did a wonderful job. Um, this book is from Capstone. And they, as you know, they cater a lot to the school and library market, but this is also a trade book. But they they really know what they're doing. They're a great publisher. And it's illustrated by Leah Vizirin. And I believe she lives in Romania. And she, I love her illustrations. They almost have kind of a steampunk um, sort of vibe to them. Let's see. I'll try to find one of the- Try, try, try to find a towering image. Let's ah, see. So, Here, sorry about that. a beautiful one from the back of the book. Exactly. Um, for the view from the top of the Eiffel Tower. And um, just the period details that she put into that book are wonderful. And I just noticed I need to plug in my laptop. So I'm going to take 10 seconds and hang on. Sorry about that. Okay. And in the meantime, I'm going to sing a song. Hava nagila, hava nagila, hava nagila benismacha. Oh, I haven't sung that in 40 years. Okay. So we're here with Emma Blanchard. I'm back. How nice is, oh, you're back. Okay, great. That was fast. All right. Um, and then lastly- okay, you, you saved me because I was singing Havanagila. I don't even remember the words. Okay, go on. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. Uh, 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 the McCloskey book is from Calkins Creek. They have published, uh, I have two other books with them, one that's already out and one that's coming out. And they're wonderful. They, they specialize in American- um, history, nonfiction, and historical fiction. And they're, they're an imprint of Astra. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's right. And I think you are connected with, or you oh, know no, Harold. Oh, no, only, yeah, I know Harold. I, very yeah, obliquely yeah, I think connected. he's with Astra. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, they're great. And then it's illustrated by Becca Stadlander, and she is wonderful. I was kind of, I had sort of a crush on her before this book. I loved her illustrations, and I kind of ran her name by my editor who um who contacted her and she agreed to do it so i felt very lucky she has sort of a folk art um style which i really like and she just did the the ducklings in such an adorable way okay well we're, we're going to get back to this book because we're going to try and focus on it um i have trouble focusing um so <laughs> and and you have five other books under the table Yes, my magic Just, table. Yeah, I have. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess five others that just, came out before. That. Just just mention them. All right. Yes. I'll just show you really briefly each one. This was my um, my very first book journey. I'm so I love this book so much because it was my first. It'll always have a special place in my heart. It's um, it's actually part fiction, part nonfiction. But that's the book that really made me realize that nonfiction can be fun and, and challenging to write. Um, and 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 award winning. That that book did really well. It did, it won a couple of awards, which just blew my mind. I had I, no idea that was going to happen. I was completely shocked. And I think to this day, that book probably along with oh, I forgot to bring Claude, the book about the white oh, alligator. I yeah. have my white alligator right here. 
Okay. So I I forgot it upstairs, but well, we we, we, we Claude is hiding today. Um, yes, we just Claude is we just hiding. We just don't have time for the alligators. Yeah, sorry, Claude. He gets a lot of attention, so uh, he's good. I'm, I'm going to have to have you back. Okay. <laughs> But I do think that Claude and Journey are probably the books that, that kids like the most because kids love animal books and animal success stories. So um, yeah, um, To Live on an Island is a book that I wrote about what imagining what it would be like to live for kids to live on an island where you have to take the ferry to go to school. And that is set in the San Juan Islands up in uh, Washington State. This is Odin, dog hero of the fires. So this is a non. This is a story about a dog who survived the um, the 2017 wildfires in California and saved his goats. And it's a true story. I got to meet the dog himself. And that one also kids love because again animals. Um, and then the pig war is a little bit more lofty and high-minded than those books. So for that reason, it perhaps um, it just appeals on a different level. I, this is one of my favorites. Um, I, I had a lot of fun writing this with a sort of kind of a funny um, voice, which was really fun to write in. And it was illustrated by one of my favorite illustrators in the whole world, Allison Jay, who illustrates in this kind of crackly art style. And um, it's just a fascinating story. Um, and it was, yeah, but it's historical. So it's, it's a book that I think is sometimes used in classrooms, like fourth, fourth grade classrooms, things like that. And I think that, I think that's it. Yes. Yeah, so I forgot Claude, but yeah. Next time. So <laughs> you are, you are incredibly prolific. Uh, let's now go back to babyhood. Tell us all oh. about yourself. Emma, Land. And then Smith started the very beginning, the early oh 1800s. I don't care. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny story. I um, I grew up here in San Francisco, and my husband and I met at the same preschool. We've known each other since we were three years old. We went to preschool here in San Francisco, and we were we we kind of were there was a group of us who all grew up together and went to the same schools. And we, um, yeah, so we are now have been married for almost 20 years and we have two kids, but we have this shared history. We know all this. We both were both from here. All of our family lives nearby. My, my parents just live a block away. So we have kind of a nice community here in San Francisco. We've lived other places. We went and lived in New York for four years, which was a dream of both of ours. And that was wonderful. And a couple, we've lived a couple other places for school and grad school. Okay. So that's... And uh, now back to your babyhood. <laughs> you, you you started out as Emma Bland. Yes. You're anything but Bland, but what kind of name is Bland? I think it's an English name. So I think my uh, my family is English, German, Scottish, and something else. I can't remember on the two sides. And... Um, Let's see. My mom is from Chicago. My dad's from California. They met at UC Berkeley in the 60s. So they were very, very 60s, Berkeley, Hippies. California. Hippie parents. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, my mom made all her own bread, um, that kind of thing. And um, my dad was a professor at UC Berkeley. And 
when my, after my parents got married, they decided they wanted to live in France and they took off and my dad worked in Paris and Switzerland and Scotland for four years. And my brother and I were born over there. So that was definitely sort of um, something kind of important in my life. We continued to go back to Europe my entire life. And I've always just had just loved France in particular so much. So you you, you grew up speaking uh, Francais? We, um, yes, we moved back when well, I we, was we in could, We could have this grade. entire interview in, in French. <laughs> we could probably have it. I'm getting a little rusty, but I will say that I was in fourth grade when we moved to France mm -hmm. and it was a great age for learning French. And I just went to the little village school down the street and was I didn't speak a word of French. I was just thrown in. And mm -hmm. by I, my mom always says by Christmas, I was speaking fluent French like a little French girl. Um, so that was an incredible experience. And I went on to study French and get a master's degree in French. And, you know, now I really don't use my French, but What's I, that, I enjoy that, that, daddy, daddy, a professor of French. He, my dad is a professor of physics, uh, at San Francisco State University. Wow. That was a, yeah, that that's, he's a. You, you've wandered far from the fold, my dear. Yes. Yes, that's true. I did not turn into a scientist. That's true. But there are a lot of writers and artists in my family. So I feel like it somehow. I'm happy to hear that. And your mom is on which side of the uh, science art? My mom is definitely the artist. Her dad was an artist and my mom is sort of an amateur artist. So yeah. Wonderful. So I mean, that explains your narrative uh, nonfiction here. I guess so. I suppose so. That's where, yeah, I, mean, I think I, I have a sense of um, logic that I get from my dad for sure. Yeah. So um, let's now talk about you as a young a little girl. <laughs> a, what were your favorite picture books? Did you have mm. angst at the age of five? Do you write to your five-year-old self, Emma? Uh, gosh, let's see. Uh, well, I my my favorite books. I don't really remember my favorite picture books. I remember writing, starting when I was about six, really just reading, um, really jumping into chapter books like The Little House. In the, the little house books, which I know is just such a cliche, but I read those books over and over and over. And then as I got older, I read Anne of Green Gables over and over and over. When I was in middle school, I got really into um, Gerald Durrell. Do you know Gerald Durrell, the uh, English writer who lived in, he wrote My Family and Other Animals. He was a naturalist and I loved his books. I read James Harriet, the vet, the English veterinarian. I read his books over and over. So I did a lot of rereading. I would just go to sleep reading my favorite books over and over. And I think that that, I always say that I think that really um, influenced it really, really had something to do with me coming, becoming a writer. Cause you're kind of seeing these words, they just become implanted and they become part of you. And you love animals, even though you did not grow up on a farm. I do love animals. Yes. I, I had rabbits. I got my first bunny when I lived in France in the village, there was a lady who kept rabbits and for to eat that my parents <laughs> asked if I could have a baby, a baby rabbit. And so she gave me a baby and I raised him in our in our little attic that whole year. And at the end of the year, we had to give him back. And she promised us that she would keep him and never eat him. And so that's what we decided to believe. Uh, and then decided yes, to believe. 
Yes, yes. We never we didn't ask any more questions beyond that. Yeah. So that was Fluffy, my first rabbit. And yeah, I've always liked rabbits. And I I I I think that most kids like rabbits. Animals. Sorry. Most kids like yeah, animals. No, no. Most kids like rabbits, but in France, they really, they really like rabbits. They really like rabbits and they really eat rabbits. And today it's hard for me to imagine eating rabbit, but growing up and living as a young adult, when I went to France so often, we ate rabbit all the time. Rabbit stew, lapin à la moutarde. And today I've kind of gotten away from that. But um, yeah, in America, we just like to cuddle bunnies. But in France, they they go both ways with the rabbits. Or to, or yeah, to, kids, or to knuffle them. Uh, to knuffle them, yes. <laughs> That's sweet. Um, yeah, so I have found that... Um, Animals are a great thing to write about for kids because they love them and it, it can be a way to, I hadn't even thought about this before writing them, but I've gotten so many letters from kids about the animal books, about the wolf and the dog and Claude the alligator. And I realized that it's a really great way to be able to write about bigger subjects through the lens of an animal. So, so what happened in your career as a student, as a child? that prompted you to get into the writing field? Um, well, let's see. I think I always wanted to be a writer. When I was a kid, I think I used to say I wanted to be either a teacher or an artist or a writer. And um, I just read, again, it's such a cliche that writers say, but I just read nonstop and I read everything, things that were way too mature for me, things that today I would consider boring. I just read everything. And um, uh, when I went to college, I majored in French and I started to dabble in writing. I wrote for the college yearbook and things like that. Then I went off to get my master's degree in French. And when I was done with that, I decided I did not want to be in academia anymore. And I wanted to write something more, uh, more, nor more real life more approachable. And I, that's when I went to New York and I started working in magazines and I worked in women's magazines uh, for four years. And, and that was fun. That was a lot of fun. It was sort of at the opposite end of the spectrum from academia. It was quite fluffy. I was writing a lot of, you know, things like five ways to lose weight this month and things like that. But I learned a lot working for a magazine. You learn to write economically, you learn to edit your work, you learn to uh, fact check everything and make sure that there are no, you're never, you don't use the same word twice in a paragraph, like all these things were just drilled into me. So I really did get a good foundation in writing, uh, working, working for women's magazines. And then after that, when I moved back to San Francisco is when I really tried to make a go of being a freelance writer. And I did that for a couple of years. And then when my kids were little is when I rediscovered children's books and realized, oh my goodness, this is what I want to write. I want to write beautiful children's books that parents will read to their kids. Okay. But you know, there's millions of parents who have the same um, awakening moments or, you know, they tell their kids, um, you know, the story of, about the rabbit who got away that they invent and their kids love this friend and say, oh, I can be a writer. Right, so right, right. You, you're still one of millions here. How did you become a super author? And, and I keep saying this. I'm going to say it again, Emma. Um, 
you realize that you are one of, I don't know, 100,000 people that want to write for kids. You have award-winning books, many, many books. You're, you're so highly regarded. Um, do, you, do you realize that you are one of 100,000 authors? Um, I don't think about it that way a lot. I have to admit, it's hard once you're in the kidlit world, you're surrounded by people who have more... No, but I mean, you, you don't, don't you... Oh, let, oh, my goodness. Don't you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I'm, I'm Emma Bland Smith. Mon Dieu, mon Dieu, mon, mon petit lapin. Oh, my gosh, no, Je definitely suis connu not. dans le monde entier. Dans tout le monde, je ne sais pas. Non, je crois que non. Non. I, I, I definitely don't. Um, but thank you. Thank you, you, you see, for reminding you, me. You see people who have other... Yeah, bigger deals, more books, fiction. You you have you know, to it's lose. A, it's just, I you think have to you lose know, this. You know, it's a little bit, and you know this as well. Just it's a little bit of a it's a brutal world. It's a difficult world, and um, I'm I, I'm someone who uh, definitely has trouble um remembering that yeah that I've that I've that I've done some good things. It's um I. Mm -hmm. I, well, I you, 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 you have to get um, the lovely Mr. Smith. Uh, what does he do? You didn't tell me. Ah, he works in biostatistics. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you, you, have to, you have to ask him every morning to give you a tiny little bonk on the forehead with your eight marvelous books and remind you of who you are. You're incredible. Oh, thank you. So let, thank let's, you. let's go back now. So, you, you know, you have this journey, which is, a journey which does enable you to be one of the 5,000 writers who get publishing deals, which is coming in from a history of loving books and a background in working in magazines, which prepares you for your journey. But how did journey happen? How did, how did you break in? Sure. I, um, I, uh, let's see. I think I... I joined SCBWI. I tried to do all the right things. I tried to be realistic about how this was going to happen. And I certainly made the mistake that I think we all do, which, which is that I thought my the first thing I wrote would get published. But luckily, I um I I persisted and I I tried to do all the right things. I joined SCBWI as soon as I found out about it. I found some local authors and I joined a critique group. Uh, today I'm in two different critique groups and that's wonderful. One of them is online and one of them is in person. And that, I, that, that's how I found you. Oh, right. Well, yes, Annabelle. I believe it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Annette, yes, yes. Annette. That's right. We were in a promotional group together, you, supportive of each other. Yeah, yeah. And and there are so many things like that that work in this in this industry where people suggest things and they they recommend people. And so a lot of net, you know, that kind of networking. Networking has a bad rap, but nice networking. And um, so I started querying. Hold on, hold on. Networking is critical. Let's get back to that in a few minutes. You okay. just landed on something that's important. All right. So um, I, I'm thinking back, I started querying uh, agents and I would spend a lot of time researching agents. And one thing I think that I did that I would recommend to people is that I queried a lot. 
I, and I didn't really think, I didn't stop to think, is this the right agent for me? I would just send my stuff to everyone who was open to submissions because I figured you just can't tell from a website if this person is ideal for me. There's you, there's just no way to know. And so why not just try? So I queried a lot, a lot, a lot and um, really didn't get anywhere, but at least it kind of got me into the trenches of like figuring out how it's done. You are and querying I, with fiction or nonfiction? Uh, at that point, fiction, fiction. Can and, you just give us uh, a one sentence pitch of your first oh fiction gosh. submission? Yeah, let's see. One of my, I don't remember. Um, let's see. One of my early ones was, oh yeah, I still love this, but I have not been able to get it published. Um, a year going throughout the 12 months of a year following the seasons. It's a little child who's going throughout the year and who is baking something different with seasonal ingredients from every month. And I, I still think it was nicely written, but that book just did not quite have enough of an arc of a narrative arc or a hook to really uh, feel very marketable. And that is, yeah. So, um, th and that's been a learning experience for me. So not, not super marketable. Um, however, eventually after about, I think it was about six, seven years, one agent wrote back to me and said, I, I really like your writing. And I, I wonder if we could have a phone call. And that was my agent. And so that ha finally happened. And it was just the most exciting day of my life. What did you but do? It took a long time. It took a long time of, of um, yeah, of lots and lots of submitting and querying and being patient. So uh, do you want to uh, holler out to your agent or shall I? Oh, sure. No, I'll say her name. Um, she's very modest. So she, I never know whether she wants me to talk about her, but her name is Esty White and she runs um, Storm Literary Agency. And um, there are a couple other agents on board at this point, but Essie started it. And this was in the very early days. And one thing I would suggest is that, um, is that authors look out when you're, when you're querying is you look out for agents who are maybe just starting their own agency um, because they're looking to acquire, they're looking to acquire authors and they're more open. So that is when that, that's, that, that's, that worked for me. It's wonderful. Agents. I've had several agents on the show. I would love to have Essie on the show. If you ask her, uh, okay. they are remarkable in the, uh, in the conversations yeah. you can have with them, but generally, yeah. generally they take on one in a thousand Mm. submissions oh my gosh. yeah right so those are the odds so you know this um, i'm gonna I, i'm gonna beg your forgiveness because this drives me crazy um i saw on facebook this morning take a course on how to be a published author mm. you know and it's either free or you pay money but it's it's bullshit um mm -hmm. you cannot take a course and become a published author the odds are still one to a hundred right. against you, even if you're a really good author. Right. What we all it have. Really to, is, yeah, you know, it, it really it, feels it, very It took unfair. you six or seven years of querying. Right. Um, and you did all the right things. Uh, but you are still one of a hundred really good authors who got a deal. And you're one of a thousand authors who got a deal. And you're one of 50,000 authors who have so many wonderful books out. 
You know, I will say also that I did take courses. I forgot to say that, but you're absolutely right. The course is not a path to, it's not a ticket to getting published, but it just, um, it helps you, especially if you, when you're just starting out, when you haven't really analyzed picture books, especially for picture book writing, I mean, not really that I would say also for chapter book writing, but when it's such a great thing, I took a couple of courses that really kind of made me realize what the arc of a picture book is and what, um, how to, how to make, you know, the formula as it were for a picture book that then you can expand on. So I definitely recommend taking courses. Um, but yes, absolutely. That is not, never is not going to get you published. It's just another tool that you can do to, for, you know, to develop your skill. Yeah. This marketing business drives me nuts. Okay. So, uh, you found Esty and Esty found you and how fortunate both of you are. And, uh, which was the story you pitched to her journey? No, well, no. So I pitched her um, a couple stories. Uh, the two that she liked were stories that I still like, but are still not published. One of them was about a little girl who plants a garden. And the other one was about a boy who finds a caterpillar in his kindergarten classroom. And then the caterpillar grows and he lets it go at the end. And she liked both of those books and she submitted them. They didn't get anywhere, but very early on in the process, I sent her the, the manuscript for Journey about the wolf, the wild wolf, uh, because I had this idea I had seen a couple other books about real life animals and I had thought, oh, maybe I could do that. Maybe that was, that's something that I could write. And then I saw a newspaper article about this wild wolf, did a little research, wrote the manuscript, showed it to Essie. And she knew, she right away said, oh, I think this is something that editors are looking for. This sort of nonfiction is kind of, it's a thing right now. And she submitted that and that got picked up right away. And so after that, I pretty much did not do any more just traditional fiction. However, I will say that those stories, the writing that I did, I think it was very valuable because I use those skills in writing narrative nonfiction. It's really using all the same, it's writing in very much the same way. So it's not like it was wasted work all of those years, I hope. It, no, in, in your case, no work was wasted because Journey won awards. It, it catapulted you to uh, picture book stardom. And, uh, and it, you weren't just like a one, uh, a one trick, I'm going to say one trick wolf. Uh, you've been publishing wonderful stuff. Um, we let's let's focus a little bit now on uh, on what we wanted to talk about mostly today, which was your incredible Mr. McCloskey and the uh, and the Mallard's book. Mm. Um, how how and you have this uncanny 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 ability to you call it narrative fiction, but it, it it's a kind of a slice of life. It's an episode, you mm -hmm. know, to hone in on a particular episode. Right. And you can't talk about a person's entire life and to pick one that's very funny and very humorous and very poignant. Run us through the, uh, as you, as you fish out the duck book from your pile, mm -hmm. Emma. <laughs> um, you are, you're, you're right to use that term um, slice of life, because that's a term that I use when people are talking about writing picture book biographies, you have this choice of writing, um, sometimes they'll use the phrase cradle to grave so the whole life of the per person or slice of life 
And many people do write cradle to grave. And it's just that that is, um, you know, that's very, that's ambitious. And I, I like the slice of life approach because it's, yeah, it's more focused. It's more, so it's more narrow. So this is the book, obviously, that we all know, although not as many children know this book uh, today as when we were growing up. Because I ask in, sometimes I will ask in presentations, raise your hand if you've read Make Way for Ducklings. And it's not necessarily, it's just, there's so many more books today. There were so many fewer books when we were kids. But this is a book that I think has um, st stood the test of time. It doesn't feel terribly dated when you read it. It still is charming. The illustrations are absolutely charming. And um, and so, you know, many of us have always loved this book. So the thing is, the, I, the behind the scenes of how a book was written is usually just not that interesting. It's just someone sits down and they, they write and they write and they write and they edit and so on. And so um, I, I, there had been a couple other books about authors, their backgrounds, like there's, you know, great picture books. There's one about E.B. White and about Ezra Jack Keats and like lots of, um, as well as authors of books for adults like Jane Austen. And so I, I think I had already been thinking like, oh, is there a picture book, a famous picture book writer that I could write about? Who do I love? Um, and, and then I was sort of maybe doing a little bit of research. And I read this story somewhere about Robert McCloskey about how in order to illustrate Make Way for Ducklings, he, he literally bought a box of baby tiny little ducklings brought them home on the subway in New York and lived with them in his studio and they took over I mean it must have been such a mess and they lived with him for months and months while he drew them trying to get the illustrations perfect so that was such a funny unique story of of a of the of a creation of a book um that i i thought oh I, I definitely think this could be this could be a book it has funny visuals because of the ducklings and then there's also this through line of um his persistence so he was a perfectionist and it was never good enough and he kept trying and and trying and then he kept failing and i know this is something that we talk a lot you hear a lot of people talking about um that it's okay to fail and it's okay and failing is not even failing failing is just a step on your on your on your journey towards success and every time you don't succeed you it makes the end result better so that is sort of like the theme of the book and then the the funny ducklings running all over the place is is the the funny visual and um can, can and, you show yeah. the uh, this is also going to be a podcast for the people who are um watching and of course this is a wonderful book everybody should go out and buy all of Emma Bland Smith's books. They're incredible. And then I will tell you where she lives so you can get them autographed. <laughs> I love this picture because this is the one of him yeah. sitting on the subway. And uh, he uh, he drew a little sketch of that book that's in the archive, of that, of that scene that's in the archive. So that was a funny one. And then here is basically just... Um, here are some of the funny scenes. These are the ducks in the bathtub. And this is him um, just working with the ducklings everywhere. 
And there were some funny stories. He told, said in an interview that the woman who lived downstairs from him came up and banged on the door and said that the floor was leaking because the, the ducks were splashing so much. So little stories, whenever I read a little anecdote like that, or like the anecdote about him sitting on the subway with the box of ducks, those are things that went into the story. Because often with these, with, with these stories, you have... Um, you're reading through the primary sources, you're trying to find primary sources, and you just, you, he's not alive anymore to ask. I can't ask him anything. So anything like that, you just grab it and you say, oh, that's definitely going in the book. Um, oh, I bet, you, you know, my um, my late mother would would, would call this a Michigas. Um, Michigas, you know the word Michigan? Um, oh, yes. This is like such an eccentric thing. Uh, and um in in the book, you don't apologize for it. It's like it's like you're deadpanning it, you know. Like, of course, what a great idea, you know. I'll have a hundred mm -hmm. ducks and and geese and maybe a few eagles and hawks in my apartment in New York. You know, what yeah, could be yeah. more, what could be more normal? But yeah, it, it's a Michigan. Yeah, in, yeah. In, 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 in the end, he gets his duck. Uh, and yes. and what and what I love is your back matter. Uh, mm -hmm. You have tons of back matter, including a letter from his daughter. Yes. So that was exciting. I um, I reached out to, he has two daughters and a lot of people know them from Blueberries for Sal. That was his daughter, Sal. And he has another daughter, Jane. And so I reached out to them and let's see, there's a picture of them. He's drawing them right there. I, uh, I, I reached out to them by email, which um, is always, um, I'm kind of a, I'm not a super um, outgoing person. And so things like that are hard for me, but I always push myself to do it, to reach out to people. And Jane McCloskey wrote back to me and she and I corresponded over the course of the next couple of years. And she, um, she read the manuscript because it was, I had to have it fact-checked and make sure that everything was accurate. And she read it and I was very nervous, but luckily she approved it. She liked everything. She liked the illustrations. She read the illustrations and she said they, she thought they were fine. And then she agreed to write a little note, like a, a note from Jane McCloskey in the back of the book, where she just talked more about her, her dad and what it was like being the daughter of a famous illustrator about how she used to pose for him and things like that. But that was um, definitely a little like brush with uh, stardom for me to be she still lives on the island that he lived on his and if you if you read his books most of his books are set on on this island and so um it was it was it's exciting it was exciting so, to what, what Emma what you've I wouldn't say that McCloskey is um forgotten but he's he's a bit faded over the de past decades and one of the great things about your book is you've you brought him back to life Oh, thank and, you. That's that's funny. I never thought of it that way. And, and that's that's such a wonderful, gracious thing you've done. And um, while I'm here, and I'm here or there, I have this wonderful idea I want to pitch to you. Okay. Um, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. But I'm not okay. going to do it because I don't like writing nonfiction. Um, you you like France and you like Paris. And I don't know whether anybody has written the backstory of Madeline and yeah, Ludwig Bemelmans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know he has an interesting story. Hmm. I'm jotting that down right now on my piece of paper here. Um, and and now you know we're live. So if you if you ever make that book, it, it wins the Caldecott or whatever 
your books win, uh, I'll be able to say, oh, <laughs> I was there. I will thank you in the book. You will be, you will be. Will you really? Will you really? Of, of course. <laughs> I, I'm always grateful to the most of my, many of the books there, there was a person who, who suggested it to me. And I'm always grateful for that because sometimes things are, they seem so obvious and then, but until someone really points it out to you, you don't think about it. Yeah. I, I I'll look into that. I almost wonder if there's a reason that there hasn't been a book about him and Madeline yet. Um, but sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's just no one has thought to do it. And I, well, Madeline, well, well, the, the the, uh, McCloskey is is uh, is right up there. And uh, you wrote the book about the book. Yes. Oh, I I do want to say really quick. That reminds me before I forget. And this happens a lot with um with a uh, uh, picture book biographies. There is someone else who there. I, I think her book comes out next month who just happened to be writing about McCloskey at the same time. Her, her book is, it, I haven't seen it yet, but it sounds delightful. It's called Make Way. And it's about Robert McCloskey. And at the same time, it's a, it's a it has parallel narrative. It's about a, a woman who wrote Nancy Shun, who made the statues that are very famous that are in the Boston gardens, the duckling statues. And so she follows him and she follows her. And um, her book comes out next month, and I'm excited to see it. It, it. Sometimes these things happen. It's sort of like there's something in the air that several, sometimes there'll be three books about someone who happened to come out the same year. And you just kind of have to, you know, capitalize that and on that and say, let's do an event together. And everyone talks each other up. So anyway, I do want to mention her book. But um, yeah. I, I loved, I mean, Madeline was definitely one of the books. Who, who, that who's I the, who's the author? Who's the author of the other book? Um, that's Angela, uh, uh, Angela Burke. A let's Angela. Have, let's have her on the show. Um, let's yeah, reach out to her. Sure. I'll write to her. And yeah, and, and, yeah. I can, um, I can have, I, I would love to have both of you on the show together. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> you know, and talk about your McCloskey experience and what brought you to each of you in your own separate way to write this. Oh, book. that would be that would be so fun. Yeah, and, I'd love and, to do. Um, and um, I, you know, I, I told you that the interview would last forty minutes, and we're all, already at forty-three, and we haven't talked about Alcatraz, and we haven't talked about your white alligator, <laughs> and um, I'm just gonna have to ha ask you back. That's all. Well, that would be wonderful. You are so fun to talk to. I can't believe it. Just you're too natural. kind. Uh, it, it's a labor of love. I, I I must tell you that I am, and I'm not saying this. I'm not facetious at all. I'm in awe to interview you and other fantastic authors. And um, you know, everybody has a story of how they succeeded and how they got to where they are. And, um, you know, you publish with the best illustrators in the business, the best publishing houses. You have a wonderful agent. And um, people might say, oh, Emma was lucky. And I'm sure that they were, you know, along your journey where you were lucky. Uh, but when the luck mm -hmm. smiles at you, then um, you have to have the goods. And, and lady, you really have the goods. I just, in, in parting, um, I'm remembered of my French hero. Louis Pasteur, who said mm -hmm. something like, Lazare eh, ne sourit que les, eh, oh, les esprits bon préparés. Mm -hmm. 
which mm -hmm. means in English, if I got it right, that uh, the fortune does not smile except on those who are well prepared. Well prepared. So Emma, you've been well prepared. And um, it was, uh, you know, we have to go, but uh, I'll have you back. And uh, it was a real honor and tons of fun to interview you. And um, Thank you. I, I would love to see some of your fiction. I, um, I, you know, I didn't really, I, I always forget to mention it, but I did have two um, fiction um, chapter book series published. This, each one is a series of four books. This is called Maddie McGuire, CEO, about a girl who uh, keeps coming up with um, business ideas. So Pet Camp is her first idea. And then Great. this book is a series called Gavin McNally's Year Off about a boy who spends a year traveling around the country with his parents. And this is the first book in four. So anyway, those were really very different. Um, so not fiction picture. Not books, the, 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 the chapter book about the girl who comes up with these harebrained mm -hmm. ideas. When was that published? Gosh, that was published maybe about five years ago, something like that. 2019, so four years ago. Okay, listen, I send. Can you send me the PDF and I will read it? Sure. Because oh. I don't, I don't interview enough chapter book authors, and uh, maybe I should. Yes, so, I have um, some great ideas for you. One of my um, good critique partners does both picture book and wonderful chapter books should be great so if you ever want some suggestions okay well, we have a lot of ideas and we're going to go offline now and thank <laughs> everybody especially you to emma bland smith and uh to um to sc white who discovered you and your wonderful illustrators and <laughs> publishers and your parents who grew such a wonderful lady up your husband whom you've known since the age of two and a half and uh, and to thank you for being on the show. And I'm Mel Rosenberg, and I'm the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, and I even got it right this time. So, Emma, I hope we'll be in touch. It was delightful having you on the show. And take care. And, thank uh, you. And write me some fiction. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much.